0: For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. Governor Stitt wants lawmakers to cut the grocery tax while they're in special session to dole out millions of dollars in COVID-19 relief funding. Stitt says the tax cuts will help Oklahomans who are struggling because of the current inflation. Neva, it doesn't look like legislative leaders have any interest in cutting taxes during the special session.
1: Well, certainly the Senate leaders don't, and that has not been a change. I mean, if we remember that lawmakers met in June in special session, uh, this was uh, one of the topics, and it was clear the House sent over several measures to the uh, Senate, and one of those included the elimination of the state sales tax on groceries, and it went nowhere. And last week we heard uh, Senate leadership basically say, when we come into special session uh, this week, where we are today, uh, that they only would be interested in working on ARPA money and economic development issues. So Mm -hmm. the governor earlier this week had a a news conference on the Capitol steps, basically once again calling for this. But I think knowing that it was nothing but a political gesture uh, and certainly something that didn't seem to have any new change, at least on the Senate side, with respect to moving this issue forward. And as we've talked about many times through this year on the show, um, Oklahoma is one of only 13 states that are left that tax groceries. So this is certainly a topic that while it may not get resolution this year before the election, I think we're going to see this topic come up quickly in the next legislative sessions in February.
2: Ryan? Well, and I think it's a shame that the Senate in particular isn't taking the governor's leadership on this. I mean, this has been something that Democrats and Republicans uh, have worked on. Grocery tax elimination bills have passed out of both chambers in in the last legislative session. You know, none of them made their way to final votes and ultimately on the governor's desk. Uh, But, you know, this is something, you know, Uh, the Democratic leader in the House, Emily Virgin. This was one of the key part of the Democratic Party's platform uh, during the last legislative session. And here it is dovetailing with Governor Stitt making this same call. And so if you've got the Democrats and the governor, and uh, presumably a lot of Republican House members, and I bet even some Republican senators on board with this, you know, I understand the, the, you know, and it is kind of a breath of fresh air. I will say this, it is a breath of fresh air to have the Republican-controlled Senate say, you know, whoa, we need to step back and be a little bit more thoughtful about these tax cuts because they could have implications for revenue down the road. You know, that hasn't always been uh, the the way that, that Republican leadership has guided their tax cut policy. It's been, you know, we'll, we'll cut it and there'll be growth to replace it and don't ask any questions. But this is something that would provide immediate relief. And I, and I know that, you know, we can deal, deal with this in February. And I think Neva is absolutely right that there will probably be a grocery tax elimination bill passed next February, and either Governor Stitt will sign it, and, and if Joy Hoffmeister is elected, I bet Governor Hofmeister would sign it. But Oklahomans are struggling right now. We've got you know record inflation. This is just a simple deal that we could you know give to Oklahomans, and it's not out of the norm, as Neva said. Most states don't have this, and so we should we should join those states and give some relief to Oklahomans. You know, it's
1: interesting too. have I've heard several people comment uh, at the Capitol this week that. Um, there is this kind of backstory drama going on in the Senate, in the Republican Caucus, with uh, uh, a move that's been talked about, kind of whisk- whispered about for uh, several months now, of whether or not there would be a direct move to try to change, uh, uh, change the um, uh, the protem, and mm-hmm. so uh, and there's clearly uh, uh, a, an announced candidate inside the Caucus who has made it clear that uh, he's going to run. So this backdrop in the midst of everything else going on with the billion plus of ARPA funds uh, ready to be allocated and all of the things going on in this special session, uh, I think it's a surprise to many that this wasn't an opportunity for there to be uh, some brokered deals uh, to try to actually do something that everyone could talk about mm-hmm. out on the campaign That's trail right. that would be a positive. I mean, this is not a partisan issue. This is something that affects all Oklahomans, and I think uh, it is something that has surprised many that we're not seeing some, what would, uh, oftentimes be described as relatively easy action uh, compared to some of the heavy lifts that we've seen in the past. So uh, we'll, we'll see if there's any last minute change, but certainly no indication uh, as we record this uh, on Thursday that we're going to see any resolution before they leave special session uh, tomorrow as they have uh, uh, at least timelined it at this point.
2: And like I said, there are Republican Senate candidates out on doorsteps right now knocking doors, talking to voters. I'm sure that they would love to say, hey, guess what? I just did last week. And instead, they're going to be answering questions of why didn't you do this last week? And it's a lot harder to say, well, my leadership didn't want us to do that. That's a that's a difficult answer. It would would be so much easier for Republicans and Democrats to be able to go tell their voters we did something concrete for you that you're going to feel in your pocketbook immediately.
0: During the special session, lawmakers are promising to give nearly 40 million dollars to OU Health Services, but the money comes with restrictions. Republican lawmakers say none of the funding can go to gender-affirming care for children. In response, OU health officials say they are halting some of its gender medicine services. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this restriction?
2: I think that this is just reprehensible. I mean, we had... Uh, we, and we talked about this on the program last week, a once in a generation, uh, investment in the state of Oklahoma with these ARPA dollars, these, uh, rescue dollars. And, you know, we're, we're talking about things that will impact Oklahomans well beyond any of our lifetimes. And, you know, that's something that we can all be proud of. I, I talked to so many, uh, uh, Oklahomans in the last week, you know, re- uh, Republicans, Democrats, independents, libertarians, and people are proud of this. And then all of a sudden you come and throw a skunk in the room. And you know, even if there's any debate uh, on you know gender affirming care or what that means or, or standards of of care, let that debate happen among physicians and among doctors. I mean, this is being debated on the the Senate floor right now as we're taping this. Uh, I, I believe Senator Treat has even said that. Who's, who's moving this measure, the president pro temp has said, he hasn't been at OU Children's Hospital. He hasn't talked to these doctors. And, and I will say that even as I'm disappointed in the legislature, I'm more disappointed than my alma mater, the University of Oklahoma. You know, I expect this stuff from the legislature, but you've got OU doctors out at the Capitol telling people to vote no on this, because here's the deal. If this thing goes down, it's gonna come back tomorrow with that language out and the appropriation still there. It's just, it's a given. I mean, that will happen. But you know, the university here is out from my understanding, and I would love to be corrected on this and issue an apology next week, but it's my understanding visiting with multiple members of the state Senate last night that OU administration is out asking people to vote yes on this bill. And that's just as as an as a you know, an OU grad, an OU law grad, it just really uh, I'm I'm ashamed right now that the university would be so cowardice to go and sit and think that this is the easy path to get this money. Your money is going to be there. Why don't you stick up for these kids and stick up for your doctors and say, no, we're not going to play these political games with this, with this once-in-a-lifetime generational investment.
0: Uh, Neva?
1: Well, and I think we don't know what happens when the dust settles, but it's mm-hmm. absolutely true, and I agree, that this money being allocated, this $39 million in particular that has uh, been uh, set aside for children's behavioral health at the OU um, uh, campus is absolutely essential. It's something that has been needed, talked about, the money was never there. Now it's an opportunity to be able to fund it, to find dollars beyond that, to continue to expand and do something that is terribly needed, uh, that no one argues that behavioral health and mental, uh, mental health services for adolescents in Oklahoma, is absolutely in critical mm-hmm. in, in in critical need and i think lawmakers who some have been uh, uh, had to be kind of sold on that uh, point now have come to hear through the interim studies and other things that have taken place that this is absolutely something that has to be part of the the overall COVID package and this debate back and forth you're right ryan i mean there there are folks all over the spectrum i mean you you basically had the democrats and some in the Republican uh, uh, caucus who who felt like it didn't go far enough, and so you have you have these folks in the middle trying to kind of hold the line and say let's just let's just talk about the funding component and address these other issues through other legislative actions. And whether that ultimately is the case or not, I mean it's uh, it's certainly been some high drama for all parties concerned as they've gone through uh, this week and trying to lobby and make this last minute effort to try to push it on through and get it across the finish line because the issue is in the Senate. The votes are there in the House. Everyone Mm -hmm. indicates on both sides, Uh, Republican and Democrat uh, leadership uh, basically have said that that votes are there. So it's just getting past this hurdle right now in the state Senate.
0: A new poll confirms a survey released earlier this month. Governor Stitt has a narrow lead over his Democratic opponent, State Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister, 47 percent to 44 percent. The Amber Integrated Survey also found in the state in the race for superintendent. Democrat Gen- Gina Nelson still has a lead over Republican Ryan Walters, 49 percent to 44 percent. A sooner poll released a few weeks ago sh- sound, uh, found similar results. Neva, what do you think about these latest results?
1: Well, I think what it says is we have two races that we continue to talk about as being uh, races that uh, seem very competitive. And w- and when you talk about a Democrat leading in any poll, I mean, that's, uh, that's one of those uh, things you just don't hear mm-hmm. uh, in Oklahoma politics at any level, and certainly in a statewide secondary race. So um, we talked about the setup. We talked about how really both of these uh, races kind of are running in tandem, given, you know, given the personalities and what's gone on in the earlier part of the political season. But I thought it was fascinating in looking at uh, another uh, poll that came out, not really a poll, but, a, but a, an assessment on races where real clear news uh which is done you know across the country a very good job of handicapping these races uh, they have moved the uh, the governor's race from what they call a safe GOP to lean GOP not to say uh, that that's dramatic in and of itself but it does show some movement and it does show uh, that we are seeing a lot of folks begin to look at these surveys if we continue to get polls now five weeks from an election uh, that continue to be within the margin of error or continue to be very very competitive, then uh, those are the races that everyone's going to watch. And I think in this instance in Oklahoma, The breakout races that are of premier focus are the governor's race and the superintendent's race. And we will see, interestingly, uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, these folks debate each other. And that will be interesting to see if those begin to move numbers anymore or whether we see uh, a breakout and one of these candidates just start to run away with it. So at the end of all of it, Republicans are still in a very good place in Oklahoma. I mean, I don't think that is very arguable in terms of just the math. But it does make for interesting political conversation as we see these numbers uh, continue to come out from uh, local pollsters. All right.
2: Well, yeah, I think that you know one of the big takeaways for me was that the governor is losing members of his own party. And Joy Hoffmeister has a unified Democratic base. Uh, you know, there's hardly any Democrats out there saying that they're going to vote for Governor Stitt. But I think it was somewhere around 30 you percent know, of Republicans. Is that is that right, Neva? Is it 30 percent that were you know leaning Hoffmeister uh, or solid Hoffmeister? I mean, that's a big deal when, when you're when you're hemorrhaging votes from your own party, uh, and this is happening at a time when uh, we really haven't seen the kind of air war begin. I mean, we're you know if you're if you're watching uh, you know, over the air TV or cable TV right now, you're, you're starting to see ads and, but they're generally kind of the, the name recognition ads. Mm -hmm. You know, this is who this person is and this is why they're great and why you should vote for them. You've seen a few negative hits, but it really hasn't come, you know, so the, the storm hasn't hit, uh, you know, and when it does, uh, what, what happens to these numbers? Um, and you know, I think that governor Stipp probably walked into this election cycle a year ago thinking landslide, uh, mandate election, and, you know, now it's survival, got to win. And, you know, so this is going to be a really interesting campaign. I think that it, you know, what what I think whenever I see these polling results um, and, you know, what it says about the electorate, I feel like it's a demand for moderation uh, because Gene Nelson isn't a far left candidate. Uh, you know, Joy Hoffmeister, former Republican, uh, as of just recently, now Democrat, you know, both are, are very moderate. Uh, And I think that there's just so much uh, that our brains can handle in terms of culture wars before it just gets exhausting. And I think voters just want something else. They want something more than somebody who is just pointing fingers all of the time or, you know, going on TikTok and and, you know, losing their mind because somebody sneezed in a high school. And they they just they want uh, they just want sensible uh, politicians to go to the Capitol, do the job. You know these are people voters aren't dumb you know neva and i talked about this uh we talk about this a lot that you know voters are not dumb and you know they serve on church committees you know they they, they're in workplaces and they know who they want to work with they know they know who's on that church committee that's going to make sure that the potluck supper you know comes together uh and they know the person on those church uh committees those church supper committees uh that get mad and stir the pot and not the good pot but stir the pot and uh, point fingers and then go on TikTok and talk about how the church is failing its mission or something like that. Yeah. And they don't want those people. They want somebody that's just gonna put their head down and get the job done.
1: Well, and I think that is an interesting point, Ryan, because when we look at the overall numbers and look at registration, we have to remember this is a Republican registration advantage uh, going into any election. And when we look at the top of the ticket, we have two U.S. Senate races where both Republicans are leading in double-digit numbers in these very same polls that we're discussing right now. So, uh, what it appears to, to to begin to look like is that it's less about just a straight party voting on either side, mm-hmm. and more about voters taking a look down the ballot, uh, even down to their local legislative races, where they have uh, uh, where they know the voters, where they see these uh, candidates on the door, and they have a better kind of uh, a better assessment of what they want and how to evaluate these folks. Records, particularly in incumbents, so we don't see a lot of endangered uh, uh, candidates down ballot uh, at this point, and even in the secondary races, mm-hmm. when you look at those numbers, Republicans are leading in every one of those, or, uh, with the exception of the superintendent uh, superintendent race. So, uh, this is what will be fascinating: is it's much different, as we always talk about, than a presidential year where it is driven by the top of the ticket. It is driven by party and what happens in Washington D.C and how people are either uh, saying yay or nay on their assessment of what they like or don't like there. So uh, this is local and we'll watch with great interest, I think, the next few weeks to see how this begins to move.
0: The Tulsa County Election Board is working overtime to produce voting records. The agency recently saw an uptick in requests after a summit in Missouri when My Pillow CEO, Mike Lindell, called for citizens to request voting records from local boards. Ryan, what should the election board be doing in these cases?
2: Well, um, you know, and you're you're uh, you're hearing from somebody right now that has you know prosecuted. Uh, several open records cases, you know, where uh, I've either made the open records request on behalf of an organization that I was with or uh, litigated on behalf of somebody else that had filed open records requests, like my my friends at the Lost Ogle, uh, and they were unfulfilled. And we've gone all the way to the Supreme Court on this issue. So I'm a big uh, defender of the Open Records Act. You know, I, I proudly serve on the Freedom of Information Oklahoma board that one of our core missions is to protect the access to records and transparency in government. Uh, but there's a difference between an open records request that's, that's designed to provide transparency to the people of Oklahoma uh, and records requests that are meant to be abusive of the process. And that's what I think we're seeing right here. I think that um, we're seeing records requests that are motivated by uh, not motivated by any sort of fact. Uh, they're not grounded in any sort of reality. And even the people you know, making the request, I don't think that they even appreciate the kind of things that they're asking for and what it takes for state employees to be able to provide those records. Um, so yeah, I think that the election board is, is doing what it should do and, and deciding you know, what are these things can, that they can turn over and how they can turn it over. Uh, and, you know, if they if it is covered under the Open Records Act, I would encourage them to try to uh, comply with it. Um, but really, what we need here is we need leadership uh, to st- you know step up and say uh, Mayor GT Bynum, if he if he would step up and say you know these are these are abusive, uh, you know this is abusive process. This is meant to take away uh, from the ability of the election board to do its critical job. And they're just a couple uh, months away at this point from having you know the biggest part of their job of, of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that you you really need leadership in these areas, and in particular in particular a local, at the local level to stay. Yeah, this is this is enough. And, you know, this is not, you know, the the president as Joe Biden, Donald Trump lost the election. Get over it. And, uh, you know, stop, stop trying to throw uh, a wrench in the gears.
0: Neva?
1: Well, I mean, it's clear that the Tulsa County Election Board Secretary is not trying to do anything but uh, meet meet these requests, I think, as uh, uh, some of the published reports this week talked about. I mean, you've had requests come in, and then as they've gone to put the requests together, uh, no one's come back or followed up when they saw that there was going to be a cost involved, I mean, uh, which there is. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you want these uh, records and you want them photocopied, I mean, uh, in some cases, one of the uh, estimates, was fifteen thousand dollars in photocopies that were being asked for so um you've got all of that as a backdrop talking about elections, most of it focused on the last election in 2020. And you're right, Ryan. I mean, we already have election boards, all 77 counties in Oklahoma that are in the absentee process now of sending out ballots. Uh, they've already sent out the first wave that go overseas and to uh, our military folks to make sure that they have adequate time to return their ballots and have exercise their right to vote. So this confusion and chat and all of that's going on uh, is unfortunate. No one, uh, no one, uh, is interested in trying to curtail, curb, or stop uh, the uh, ability for people to get information. But to be able to conduct elections, uh, that's the issue. And to try to continue to throw all of this out there in a if if there is an effort to try to taint uh, this election in 2022, the general election or anything moving forward, it's regrettable because this is this is really sacred to our democracy, sacred to all that we know about as as uh, uh, citizens of the United States. And it's uh, I, I find it regrettable that we that we have ourselves in a place. Where this becomes a focus, rather than many of the other issues that are so much more important, when we talk about voter election, and everyone wants voter security, no one wants voter fraud. I mean, these are given topics. I mean, we can talk about them all day long, but these have been they, these have been uh, a mainstay. Throughout my lifetime, I mean, I, I was thinking about it the other day. I mean, 50 years, 50 years of voting in elections. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 uh, I shudder to think that we're not, we're not going to get past this anytime soon, and we can't move forward with uh, uh, voters and young voters, first-time voters, having every reason to believe that they're going in and exercising the right to vote, knowing that their vote counts and will be recorded accurately. Mm-hmm.
0: The Tulsa County Election Board is also raising concerns about a lack of poll workers for the coming general election. The election secretary says while there are several reasons for not getting qualified workers, one of them is they are concerned about harassment and is calling for local law enforcement at polling places. Neva, what happens if polling places can't get enough workers? Well, big question.
1: I mean, uh, certainly it's not a new question. I mean, we talked about it even uh, uh, in two years ago when we were talking about uh, the elections. I mean, it has become a chronic problem with county election boards trying to find an adequate number of folks to uh, to be able to be at the respective polling locations throughout their county. So uh, in the instance of uh, Tulsa County, I think, uh, I think the number was that they were still looking for out of the um, the 700 plus that they had right now that they still needed three or 400 more folks. That's a lot of folks. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it's going to require some creativity. It's going to require collaboration and folks really kind of beginning to think about it in terms of true public service. I mean, that this is something, uh, yes, you take a day out of your life to have training. You take a day out of your life to go and sit at the polls from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. So, so folks can come in and vote. Um, and you get your hundred plus dollars a day uh, to do that but there are ways uh, that I think we need to elevate this the, the education of this and the need for this so that it doesn't become a problem because we're going to we we are going to see on election day that these county uh, election boards are going to have problems with no-shows they're going to have problems with uh, uh, folks that get sick or have some other emergency and being able to have those adequate folks in place is one thing the harassment factor is another i don't know that i've heard that much honestly about uh, the harassment it's certainly been talked about uh, more in the national uh national headlines and in some locations and may be a growing problem but i think it's isolated here in oklahoma certainly hasn't been something that has been at the forefront of conversation but we do need to get creative. We've seen some examples, even in some local communities, where the city manager or someone uh, that is in a, a position of influence has really kind of stepped up and said, look, let's all get on the team. Let's see what we can do to help uh, help our election board make this thing happen and make it easier on them. And I think those are conversations that will continue as we move forward.
0: Right
2: well you know first and I think I, I probably speak for all of us here a, a huge thank you to those poll workers that show up and make our elections work uh, I mean it, it's not an easy job they're they're there before the polls open they're there after the polls close and uh, you know that's that really makes our democracy work and, and, and how how wonderful it is that these are these are volunteers for the most part I mean they get paid a small stipend but let's call them what they are they're they're volunteer public servants and you know they they do this because they believe in the administration of fair and secure elections. So a, a huge thank you to everybody that has done that and is, is, is doing that and is considering it. Uh, you know, one of the things that they mentioned was, one, they, they had, um, I think it was the Tulsa County Election Board Secretary said that there had been death threats in Oklahoma. Uh, I don't know that they've been very publicized, but in, in that one of the articles I read said that, you know, that there have been threats made against election workers in Oklahoma, we we saw in the congressional hearings on the January sixth committee, uh, you know, poll there were poll workers, I, I believe in Georgia, uh, a mother and a daughter uh, that Donald Trump singled out um, and and said that you know they were responsible for uh, all these nefarious things, which of course they were not, but it basically ruined their lives. Um, I mean, the the one of the uh, one of the women was couldn't even go to the grocery store anymore uh you know she ha- she had to move out of her house for months because her house was targeted by uh right-wing activists that were uh just convinced that she had something to do with stealing the election um and i i think that what we really have to have here is a return to civility and i think that we have to have uh a return to the idea that if you're going to go work these polls that you show up you're not there as a republican i mean you you know you 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 vote the way you wanna vote. I mean, you get to vote, you get to, but when you walk into that polling place and you're an administrator of an election, you're not there as a Republican, you're not there as a Democrat, an independent or a libertarian, you're there as a public servant, as an Oklahoman, to make sure that the election is is fair and secure. Um, And what they said that they'd seen is an, an increased number of activists that were showing up and I don't care if you're on the left or the right here, you don't belong at the polling places, you know, showing up for training so that they could go to the polling places and then express their agenda uh, to particular voters. Uh, you know, I, one of the last times before I moved to Oklahoma City uh, and, and registered in Oklahoma County, one of the last times I voted in Seminole, uh, I, I remember going up and, you know, saying, you know, saying, uh, you know Republican or Democrat. And I, I said Democrat. And the, the guy made some derogatory comment about Democrats. Uh, and I'm thinking, what? What is this? Uh, and I was, uh, you know, I, I think I was, I was out of the legislature at that point. But uh, I'm thinking, what, what, what does this come to? And I think it's even worse now, right? And so, and the harassment is, isn't generally from the poll worker to the voter. I mean, I think that you see some activists doing that. But these poll workers shouldn't be, uh, they shouldn't have to hear questions about, you know, st- stolen elections or fraud or, uh, you know, that's, that's not what they're there for. Uh, they're there to make sure uh, you are who you say you are. Uh, and you get the right ballot so that you can cast your ballot and have your voice heard in our democracy. So a huge thanks to those folks. And, and, you know, Godspeed to the election boards out there that are trying to fill these vacancies because we sure need it.
0: Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.